0: It was a real wonderful moment that reminds us that the problem with management and leadership is that they don't ask questions. They're not curious, that they're judgmental, that they project themselves upon their customers and upon their employees, and they're measured as such. And really, the more curious we could be, the more empathetic we could become.
1: Welcome to More Intelligent Tomorrow. A podcast about our emerging AI driven world. Critical conversations about tomorrow's technology today. Three, two, one, go. On today's episode, host Dave Anderson sits down with Brian Solis, global innovation evangelist at Salesforce. Brian Solis, welcome to the More Intelligent Tomorrow podcast. It is wonderful to virtually see you again. It's really nice to
0: see you again. For those who don't know me, my name is Brian Solis. I've been a longtime principal analyst and digital anthropologist. I've written a lot of books. I am the global innovation evangelist at Salesforce, where I study all kinds of disruptive trends and try to make sense of them to help businesses do more than just digitally transform, to figure out ways to remodel or reimagine their business models for a new world, using all kinds of amazing technologies to do better than we're doing in podcasting right now.
1: A hundred percent. But Brian, tell me about this disruptive technology. I've heard you present on stage numerous times, and it's always one of the best presentations that I get to see because you present back what we know we should do. Why are then companies not getting it right? Well, Dave, you're too kind.
0: Thank you. Uh, you One of the challenges that we have is that disruption isn't just about technologies. As a digital anthropologist, I look at how disruption changes or can change behaviors, sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. And what I try to do is really understand how those are going to play out over time, how they've played out. And with that perspective, try to bring a, a narrative back to people who aren't doing the same kind of work to make it matter to them. And the challenge that we have most of the times, you know, are rooted in human just rooted in human nature. So for example, if I bring to a C-suite or to a board or to the heads of any function, service, marketing, sales, commerce, and I talk about this new world and this new customer and how they want to make decisions, they don't hear that. What they want to hear is tell me what I need to do based on the decisions that we've already made and the investments we've already made so that we can do better. And that's not the wrong thing to look for. It's just that you can only iterate so much to the point where the market itself says, "I need something better, I need something different," and I'm no longer willing to compromise in order to get the outcomes that I seek." So the narrative has to be much more human, less threatening, much more tangible, and then also with it with a real rich sense of roi attached to it, like if we, Sink more. (laughs) It's always a sunken cost bias. If we sink more into this, uh, or if we move in a new direction, then what happens? How do we justify this expense? What does growth look like? What does success look like? How do we know the milestones? And so that—that's the part. That's the hard part. uh, But it's also the part that really matters. And so that's where, as you know, Dave, I—I will spend an incredible amount of time understanding who am I going to be meeting with, whether it's an audience, whether it's a series of executives so that I can understand where they're coming to this, the world in which they're playing in, the challenges that they're facing, and I just try to find solutions and make it matter to them so that they feel compelled, so that they're motivated and inspired to want to bring the change.
1: So for the average human who isn't as intelligent as you, if you break that down, is that giving them something like small... Incre- you, you mentioned a couple of words that popped out as you were talking through that. And a lot of it made sense, but it's like small increments. These are small changes that this business can make in order to see their future. Like you've got to take baby steps. And is that sort of the the key to change? And there was one other piece actually, sorry, that I forgot to mention. And this is where I do think companies don't get it right, is they don't take the time to scenario map their future. They make rush, gut decisions. What do you think? Uh, You you nailed it. I mean, that's a a big part of what futurists
0: do, right? Is they take available data, available insights, and they scenario plan based on a number of likely, just just possibilities. You You could do one, two, three, small, medium, large, best case, worst case scenarios. However it is that you want to approach it, that is that is the way that we should do things all the time. So that way you're prepared. The, the, the pandemic that we've experienced isn't the last disruption that we're going to experience in our lifetime. So we should always be planning for how things can change and will change in the future. The problem is, is that we've got about I don't know, think about the 1950s, 1960s archetypes of what most businesses and organizations are built upon. And you're trying to take legacy models, management school thinking, incentivizations that exist for those models and try to change them to be much more dynamic, much more agile and much more, uh, I guess, experimental and ambitious in 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 this world when in fact those very structures are designed to not innovate. Uh, They're actually designed to scale efficiencies. And so what we're asking them to do now is to go against basically everything they know, everything that surrounds them and move forward in a different way. But look, let me put it this way. I just finished up a study that we published on the global workforce. And one thing that we found was that following the great resignation is a great digital divide. 76% seventy six percent of all employees say that they don't feel that they have the digital skills necessary to work in this new economy. That's a pretty big number. I think it's like fifty four or fifty six percent said that they feel that technology is going to outpace their ability to keep learning so if employees feel this right then why why do leaders feel that they're immune to this disruption or to this change? What that data tells me is that everybody has to change that business models have to change and so to your point. These future scenario planning have to connect the dots all the way back to me. Why is this important mm-hmm. to me? What's the role I play in this? What's in it for me? And then how do I bring everybody else together answering those same questions for them? And so that's really where we're at. When that's what makes it so hard. So last bit is I'll, I'll just throw it out there is you don't, you don't have to be, I mean, obviously you have to be smart and intelligence, but I, I think you also have to be caring and empathetic and vulnerable to understand Mm. that we don't have all the answers and nor should we, this is disruption. You know, nobody got a playbook with the pandemic. Uh, And if you look at every aspect of the world today, whether it's climate change, whether it's the pandemic itself, a lot of people around us are fighting against the stuff that we should be doing to get out of this a lot faster or to protect ourselves in the future. So no amount of scenario planning is going to change someone's mind if they don't feel that they play a role in what this new future looks like. So that's why that human side of the story is so important.
1: I was going to touch on that because I've been following your Instagram and apart from drinking champagne on Lake Tahoe, is it? Is that where I see you very frequently? (laughs) Um, Aside from that, you post a lot of empathetic posts about people and about how business can be better and how people can be better. And the stat that you just shared I think it was 76% of people believe that they're lacking the skills to digital or the digital skills required. The only way to overcome that is practice. If technology is moving faster than people, then we're not investing enough in education and training because the next generation aren't going to get it as quickly and don't have the experience. And so you'll end up with a generation gap as well. Do you see now... You fly around and you meet with companies all the time, talking about innovation and disruption. Do you see an emphasis now on skills development or are we still not there? I
0: see more conversations about it, more studies and research that show that we need to have these conversations. But I don't don't know that there's enough tangible transformation in this regard that we need to see at scale. So for example human resources should break that glass because this is an emergency. We've got to reimagine skilling, training, hiring, incentivization. We've got to take that all the way up to the leadership committee for executives who do not have the digital skill sets necessary to lead company in a hybrid world. None of them have that experience. And you know, one more stat to throw out this is an MIT Sloan study that showed that only 23% of CEOs, and I'm going to argue that this is high have the digital skills necessary to lead in this new economy. And only mm-hmm. 7% of C-suites are digitally savvy. So as you can see there's a big, some big challenges to solve. And then the other thing is, you know, our education system for Gen Z, right? They're going to be coming into a world where they're learning old, old ways. And even though mm-hmm. some of them, might be focused on technology or might use TikTok, the aptitude and the skill sets, the creativity, the focus, the deep work that they're going to need to be able to to be agile, to be successful in this new world isn't met or designed at scale either in academia. So there's a lot of things that I, if I, if I could stop time and, and work on a lot of these problems at the same time, I would certainly spend a great deal of time there. What would you do? Uh, Well, first, I'd I'd have to take an aptitude test, right? Understanding what are the skills that we need. And I wrote an article in Forbes, if you want to look it up, it's called The the Great Digital Divide. If you look at what the skill sets are, and as you said earlier, in terms of scenario planning, how are those going to play out over, say, the next decade? We can identify the skills that we need, the skills that we're going to need, and then we can assess the skills that we have and the skills that we don't have. And that's going to give us a map of what we need to to solve for now and then also over time. what are the most immediate needs and what are the things that we could start to fold into the mix as time progresses? Uh, and then go backwards to from the workforce to then bring that into schools uh, and then have those mm-hmm. schools address them in terms of a priority, sort of you know, do we do this, do we do that? And then to quote Sir Ken Robinson. You know, we got to bring back creativity and the belief that everybody is an artist, that everybody in their own way has little C or big C creativity, because that's the only way that you're going to believe that you actually can learn and do new things that are unconventional to the standards that have defined this world before the pandemic.
1: So nicely put. And I relate a lot of this stuff actually back to I've got my dad of two girls. And so a lot of it is down to like, yeah. Yes, Yeah, so we have something in common here. Maybe this is why we're so empathetic. No, don't be. I do that and then some people will go like, what about me? I've got boys. I'm empathetic. Of course you are. But I relate it back to like whether my daughter's playing soccer, for instance, and there's certain skills that she needs to learn. And so I'm like, the only way you're going to learn them is practice. The only way you're going to practice is with time. And also she's now in a position where she gets quality coaching. And so it's a very simple phenomenon. And I think when most people think of like enterprise training, Training, my university lecturer used to say, is for animals, and education is for people. And for so often, you're like, there you go, you have access to this online course. Sit through these PowerPoint presentations, and you sit there, hello, I'm da da da, and I'm going to tell you a lot about digital transformation. And you go like, oh my god, please. But it's the quality of education and it's also the time needed to do that education. A lot of innovative companies out there offer up a certain percentage of employees' times to go and work on creative projects or to learn new pastimes. It seems to me the only way we can accelerate the creativity and the innovation within organizations is to be empathetic and give people the time to follow some passions. And be creative with their time, and then deliver them back to a company with quality education. You know, it's so well said, Dave. The you know, the thing that I've been spending a lot of
0: time researching empathy uh, lately, and one of the reasons why is that it's it's because it's so hard. And mm. you know, the difference, you know, maybe often people get close to sympathy, but empathy is really understanding how someone else sees the world of feels. And it's quite a leap. And it's one of the reasons why we don't have a sense of urgency around change, because it's really difficult for us to actually become someone else and and then see it through their world and say, oh my goodness, you know, I got to do something now. I, I call it the undercover boss moment. And it's something I've been trying to study of how do I deliver that undercover boss moment when you're not on the TV show, which is If you've ever watched the show or anybody who's watching or listening to this, there's always a moment in that show where the gift of empathy actually breaks through. Mm -hmm. You see it. Yeah, there's tears, there's there's laughter, there's change. There was a a wonderful episode where one of the executives was doing work. And I think it was a sporting goods store. And the manager of that sporting goods store was trying to help him. He couldn't do the work well. (laughs) She was trying to help him keep from getting fired. And in one of the conversations that they had, he asked her about, what do you do after work? And she said, you know, I get my, I, my daughter and we go to a shelter. She was basically homeless. But there she was trying to help this executive succeed in a job that he couldn't do for his own company. And at the end of the episode, he bought her a house. And that gift of empathy is a powerful thing once you have it. And so that learning how to deliver that gift of empathy to executives so that they feel like they want to be the change rather than resist against it, is, is so powerful. And lastly, Dave, you brought up something since we're both dads of, of two girls and whether you're a parent in general. This device, my last book, really explored how these devices and apps rewire our brains. And my brain was rewired and I had to figure out what to do about it. And that's what that book is about. It's called Life Scale. Uh, to your previous question, what else would I, in terms of education, is I would also do, design learning modules that cater to that brain because it certainly doesn't read left to right in a Z formation chapter by chapter in the way that you and I grew up. It needs to immerse in things that are more dynamic, individualized. And AI can help create that type of programming for our our youth to learn at their pace, but also to outpace us in the ways that we would learn too. So I would I would redesign that too.
1: Yeah. Personalize a learning experience with artificial intelligence. That makes sense. And the empathy is about getting close. I wonder how, with more time, I would talk to you about how uh, If it, it feels to me like managers, uh, maybe they're stressed or like, where is the empathy breakdown? Because I don't get it. You don't get it. We're empathetic people, but I don't get people who aren't because I just don't understand why they can't ask questions, get close to someone, find out what their challenges are. Are they scared? Are they fearful if they take the time to do that? Because- I've seen organizations do great things where they'll pluck an engineer and they'll stick them into a customer service team and just have them sit there for a while, like break down the traditional silos. And you end up with really creative, innovative solutions where an engineer will bring a technical approach to solving a customer service example. They can design automation techniques to make the Mm -hmm. job easier for people. And that's just about putting different brains to work and having them understand other people. Do you think that's, like, are we breaking it down? Is it that simple? It's how do we see the problem
0: and how do we not see the problem? So, for example, Mm -hmm. technology can help us fix a lot of things, for sure. But it can also help us automate a lot of experiences that just need to go away. So, for example, in service, chatbots, self-help, a lot of the experience that exists today are just not designed for for the customer at all. They're just designed to reduce costs, to help justify existing or legacy technology investments. There's nothing wrong with that until there's something wrong with that. And so, I guess that's where empathy comes in. It's who is our customer? What is their standard mm-hmm. of expectations or their standard of excellence? What are the best in class experiences that they have when they pick up their phone or? use their favorite app or service and how do we just re-engineer maybe it's a small piece it's like if you had to create a mobile only journey or mobile first only journey for the customer where are we broken and where could we adapt for that so that they can so we get to learn together how to deliver a better experience for folks but i also think that you mentioned soccer and i have been or football for those who call it by the proper name i have been fascinated by don't laugh but by the Ted Lasso series, because it is just oh, really so about caring uh, and yeah. inspiring people at their core. And there was this one, one episode, Dave, maybe you saw it, where he was playing the former owner of, of the team in a game of darts. And yeah. it, he talks about how the one thing that he learned when he was young, he misquotes Walt Whitman. It's not actually a Walt Whitman quote, but he, he says, be curious, not judgmental. Uh, And to be curious means you need to ask questions. And as in that episode, he mentions, for example, Ted, do you play darts or have you played darts? Because he would have had an answer for that and not been misjudged in terms of his competency to play the game. And it was a real wonderful moment that reminds us that the problem with management and leadership is that they don't ask questions. They're not curious, that they're judgmental that they project themselves upon their customers and upon their employees, and they're measured as such. And really, the more curious we could be, the more empathetic we could
1: become. That is such a powerful statement. This is exactly what I've based I struggled when I did an MBA because I didn't get to the lowest common denominator of the whatever theory or strategy I was coming up with. And one of my Nordic student friends in very simple English said, why? Why? And he kept saying to me, why? And I was like, what's wrong with him? Why is he doing this to me? And eventually I got to it and then I went, oh my God. Every time I write anything, anytime I make a statement, anytime I do any of this, I have to keep asking why. And I know a lot of, there's a great saying about ask five times why. And it's things that kids do naturally, but somehow through our education system, we manage to beat it out of them and they don't ask why anymore. Right. And we get annoyed when they keep asking why. Just do it. Just follow the rules. I don't know. I don't know Like I asked My daughter yesterday She was We were were practicing On the way to football She was practicing Her words And one of the words Was chlorophyll I go Why are you learning To spell chlorophyll She goes I don't know dad I just have to And I go But why (laughs) When are you ever Going to use the word Chlorophyll And actually have to Spell it without a computer If you're doing that You're in trouble So stop it (laughs) I 100% agree with you with the phones. I've started doing more reading about my own consumption of the technology, how business models should and could potentially change because they're stealing our attention. There's a number of new books out there about that and how even our attention as, as workers doing tasks... Mm-hmm. is really disrupted by emails coming in and Slack messages and Twitter posts and Instagrams and you wanna like stuff like that. I'm it, just going to interject lot. there that it requires a new discipline.
0: And it's a discipline that we didn't have before 2007, but when the iPhone yep. was introduced. My book, Life Scale, Dave, I'll send you a copy, was yes, formulated mate. when I could not, you know, one, get to the, the root of the problem. So, for example, they're designed to break your focus. That's the whole point. The more attention that they have of yours is how they monetize. And they use what's called persuasive design, intermittent variable rewards techniques to get you to spend more time scrolling or sharing or engaging without understanding and studying, like, what does it do to our users? And ultimately what it does is that it rewires you for distraction, you know, to save time, not go down another rabbit hole. But the point is that Once you're rewired for distraction, you're actually subconsciously seeking it. And so when you get that notification... Whatever message it is or whatever it is, you want it because it gives it's like a feedback loop. It makes you feel like you are you matter and it validates you in weird ways. But also, let's just say you were in deep work and you decided to go towards that distraction to respond to it. For example, it's going to take you 23 minutes and 17 seconds on average to get back to that state of flow. And imagine how many distractions we get or notifications we get in a day. And so there's a discipline that you build so that you don't have to get rid of those distractions. It's hard to work in a a digital first world without them, but that you build a new discipline so that you manage it with intent.
1: I think this is something that... COVID's made it a thousand times worse. You know, I bought iPads for my kids and went, there you go, go consume your eight hours a day. And then they were online learning with their iPad at the same time. And now they natively chat to their friends on iPad instead of riding their bikes up the street. And this is a problem that (laughs) until they learn that these companies also incentivized or they make money from their impressions, they got to realize that how these companies make money and what it's doing to their attention and their social skills. And so I'd really like to... Consume your book. This is my new favorite passion of mine, this particular topic as a dad. Well, I've got one more question for you, though, before I let you go. Yes. Yes. And this is the, we ask this of everyone who comes onto this podcast. How do we get to a more intelligent tomorrow? Oh, gosh. I'm
0: sure you've heard this from other guests. It is. Probably a conversation should, that should be its own podcast, but I'll just give you a simple answer, which is, it's a quote I shared earlier today, which was, as you set your goals, try not to be better than anyone else. Try to be better than you were yesterday or today. And that's how we get to a more intelligent tomorrow.
1: Oh, I like that so much. Awesome. Thank you for being on here. Thanks for chatting again. Let's talk again about your book. I'll follow you on Instagram. Don't drink so much champagne. Get on the leaderboard. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on this more intelligent tomorrow journey. Discover more and join the conversation at moreintelligent.ai. The future is closer than we think.